Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community and the people that bring community to life. My guests today are Beth Culross, Assistant Professor for the College of Nursing at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, and Steve Langan, poet and, among other roles, Director and Community Liaison of Medical Humanities at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Beth Colross is an Assistant Professor for the College of Nursing at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. She received her Bachelor of Science in Nursing from Salisbury University in Maryland, Masters of Science in Nursing, Gerontological Clinical Nurse Specialist from Rush University in Chicago, and her PhD in Gerontology from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Beth serves as the Director of the Learning Resources Center for the College of Nursing and an Associate Director of the Interprofessional Academy of Educators at UNMC. Beth is the UNMC Leader for Health Humanities and chairs the Health Humanities Special Interest Group. She was recently awarded Courtesy Affiliate Faculty Status in the UNO Medical Humanities Program. Steve Langan is a poet whose work has appeared in numerous journals. His most recent book collection is What It Looks Like, How It Flies. He teaches creative writing at the University of Nebraska at Omaha, is UNO's Director and Community Liaison of Medical Humanities, and was recently inducted into the Interprofessional Academy of Educators as an affiliate member at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Steve is founder and director of the Seven Doctors Project, a creative writing program established at UNMC in 2008 to help serve physicians and healthcare workers. Beth and Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for having us. You're both intimately connected in an exciting new entity, which is the Ted Kuza Health Humanities Center. And I think that's going to inform a lot of our conversations. So could I ask each of you to explain what that is and perhaps maybe a little bit about why it relates to you? August 6th is an important date, Stuart. Many of us gathered at the Buffett Cancer Center along with Ted Kuzer himself, our esteemed U.S. Poet Laureate, to have the Emerging Health Humanities Center named by Chancellor Jeffrey Gold, who, of course, leads both UNMC and UNO. It was a wonderful evening. Ted gave a reading. Dean Dave Booker of the College of Arts and Sciences talked about the importance of the humanities and arts and the lives of, well, all of us, but particularly healthcare workers. That community throughout their training, who really, from my experience, depend on what the arts and humanities and the social sciences can give to them and what they can give to those subject areas. It was a great night. Beth was there. I'll ask her to share her insight on that evening. So throughout that evening, we were able to introduce the idea and the concept behind the Ted Kuser Health Humanities Center, which the idea is a collaborative approach between our two campuses. And in order to help bring forth the expertise of our UNO faculty in the humanities and in the arts and in the social sciences forward to many of the students who start there, progress through to UNMC into health professions. To make a combination of the, the arts and the sciences that are important for healthcare. Throughout my journey in getting to where I am today and having that really science background and going into nursing and getting a master's degree and then choosing my PhD in human sciences with a focus in gerontology and looking at that social science side 
um, and helping me remember why we look at human beings as individuals, um, I think changed how I look at how we educate healthcare providers. So in being able to share this information with the, um, the people in attendance on the 6th and in listening to Ted Kuzer talk about his story and his experience with UNMC and how his poetry tied into his healing, uh, I think we were able to help people understand that the humanities being how we look at the world, reflect on the world, react to the world around us, helps us be better healthcare providers. One of Ted's remarks that evening, and I will never forget it, was when he had cancer, I'm paraphrasing, I hope I get this right, when he had cancer of the throat, that cancer would present itself different every day. And he said, and I think this is pretty close to what he said, if I could make a rectangle of words and put those words into the right order, it was, at least for that day, a stay against all of the confusion that this disease was presenting to me. That is health humanities. It comes in a variety of forms, but that is the very essence of health humanities. I make something, I'm energized, I feel better, I bring it to others, they feel better too. There's something about that ripple effect of what the imagination can provide to people. You said something, Beth, that was interesting to me, and it was about seeing human beings as individuals, which then suggests what we're not seeing them as in this context, which is not seeing them as a data point, not seeing them as a diagnosis, not seeing them as a subject matter to some other form of study or interest, and not seeing them as a dollar sign in some way, either as a cost or a burden. And so what are the ways perhaps that humanities might give us a different way to look at people encountered at the Ted Cusa Center in, uh, in a way that we're seeing them as an individual and not those other things? The way I see that is the story. When we talk about storytelling and the power of storytelling, Having my background in nursing focused on geriatrics, the patients I've taken care of and the residents I've taken care of when I worked in a nursing home all had these rich, long stories of life that allowed me to see who they were, who they became, and who they are today. And that, that history and that journey they were on helped me provide better care for them. I think that's part of this process of getting away from the idea of no matter who the healthcare provider is, I'm taking care of the stroke patient in room C, for example, to I need to go see Mrs. Jones because her family's coming later today and we need to have a discussion. So the humanities in, in bringing us the ability to think about how we observe, how we listen, can be applied to how we take care of patients. And I think that's an important aspect that we lose when we focus only on the science of healthcare. The website for the center has a quote from Hippocrates. And the quote from Hippocrates is, it is far more important to know what person the disease has than what disease the person has. And I'm wondering, where did we go wrong? Or maybe not wrong, but where did we slide off the path of thinking about humans as a, as a whole person find ourselves thinking of them as something other than that. So I'm just wondering maybe about a little historical perspective on why it is that we sort of lost our, our way in at some point. So my perspective on that is as healthcare has exploded with technology, 
for one thing. And as treatments have become also more technical, more advanced, the things that healthcare providers need to know are now at such a higher level. And there's so much information that we have to teach these health provider students in a limited amount of time. I do think part of it has started in the education realm. I have so much to teach you in a short amount of time. What do we have to drop off the radar because we can't provide everything? And then on into practice, there's the addition of time as well. There's so many patients, so many things going on. How can we get our work done efficiently and effectively? And unfortunately, that does then come down to healthcare dollars and how much it costs and spending. So I think over time, that has led to the idea of some of these things falling to the wayside because there's so much to do in so little time. What we're finding now is the healing power of just making human connections with each other versus being treated as a data point, as you said. Um, That is where I feel that the humanity is bringing it back in at this time point because there are also things in healthcare going on like patient satisfaction surveys. What do the patients want? They have options of where they can go receive health care. Who is going to give them the care that not only will treat them, help cure them or make them better or make them healthier, but also make them feel important as an individual? It's odd that in some ways that we've been talking about regaining this more creative human, artistic approach to how we live lives, whether in sickness and in health. But now I want to ask you about the science. What, what is the science that you just alluded to that suggests we can be healthier because of the humanities? <laughs> so when I look at the combination of the two, I'm going to give you an example of an article that was just sent to me a few weeks ago from um, a colleague at UNO, Adrian Duran, who is um, art history. And this article is all about a scientist who has taken these images from slides and germs, and he's turned them into works of art. So these things that can do horrible things to a human body, and he's turned them into works of art. The science has to be there in order for us to understand how the human body works. We can't come up with cures. We can't come up with treatments. We can't come up with new medications unless we understand on a scientific level what's going to happen. But if we move away from adding the humanities to that, the body will respond this certain way, the physical body. But the human being who resides in that physical body may respond completely different. I I think the most obvious idea of, of giving you an example of this is the chemotherapy patient. Chemotherapy will go in and it will kill those cancer cells. It's going to help hopefully cure that person. But now we also have a person who has nausea and vomiting and feels sick and is tired all the time and may lose their hair. And now how are they living their day-to-day life? Because they feel awful and they don't want to be seen by people. So helping them through that piece is also important, important in helping them recover. So the humanities built onto the science is the key, in my opinion, of leading to healing.
some of the ways and I know that among many examples Seven Doctors Project is is part one. What are some of the ways that you are seeing the benefit of humanities in this clinical environment? I'll take you over to the, the data for, for a minute, Stuart. There's this great recent study. Medical students exposure to the humanities correlates with positive personal qualities and reduced burnout at Tulane, Brown, Mayo Clinic, others about 3,000 medical students uh, completed a survey. Here, here were the results. Tolerance for ambiguity improved. Empathy improved. This hard to measure but real thing called wisdom improved. The list goes on and on. We know that from our personal experience. We know that reading something that you love gives you energy. Learning to play an instrument gives you some sort of loss of time, the duration that feels good. We know these things. We're in the position to start to measure these things ourselves through the Ted Kuzer Health Humanities Center. We know our students at UNO are gifted in science. There's no doubt about it. But are they fully evolved in these kind of human ways? Well, no. They're 21 years old. They have a ways to go. We give them this this layer through the humanities and arts of condensed experience that they can bring with them to UNMC, whatever their job becomes. And this is very important to us. We are banking on our own experience and seeing people uh, come alive through uh, participating in or doing the humanities. That was my experience at Seven Doctors Project. I just put a call to action out years ago at the medical center looking for mid-career physicians who are willing to claim burnout and job dissatisfaction. I figured I'd go home. Who's going to answer that plea? Instead, seven people who were hurting in different ways. I knew that because they started to tell me, uh, came to the table and started to do some writing for us, and they started to feel better. This is a real thing. This is a measurable thing, my gifted colleagues tell me. There are 50 of us, including Beth herself, who are gathered on our UNO Medical Humanities faculty. We're ready to do this research. We're poised to do it. We know this is a real thing. We want to create a kind of scale of burnout prevention and mitigation that's our very own. This is one of our goals. But we also want to speak back to the medical systems who, I'll be quite frank, I'm a bit of an advocate, an activist and advocate. There can be a call for productivity that is uh, just too much. It's just too much. When I see a physician friend, and I have a few because of Seven Doctors Project, I ask, how many times this week have you been asked to produce more? Inevitably, they say, a few. And it could be Wednesday. Maybe tell us a little bit more about the medical humanities major, what the curriculum is, how, how it came to be, and what one might expect if one, was, um, if one was a student in that. Starting in 2015, we developed a thri now thriving medical humanities minor. Well over 120 students are, are enrolled. 
they have majors throughout our college and other colleges at UNO and uh, are our pride, proud minors. On May 20th, the Coordinating Council for Post-Secondary Education and the Board of Regents approved our major in medical humanities. That is at our College of Arts and Science, but it's closely in tandem with our College of Communication, Fine Arts, and Media. That's where the fun stuff is. Theater, art and art history, music, the writer's workshop, and communication. So our curriculum, which is 30 hours long for the major, which is uh, six less than a couple others, and it gives us some portability around the sciences and the, and, the, and the work that our students have to do. We have hit the ground running with our major. We have a lot of interest in our major. And I think the work, while scholarly, while infused with creative work, I just want to be very frank. I think it defaults toward humility. And I think it de- defaults in a lot of ways toward fun. Imagine having fun at school. Those things can happen. I teach a class called Writing About Sickness and Health. The title is not so fun. But what happens in the work, and you've been a guest, Stuart, great to have you there. What happens in the work, inevitably, is that our students, they come to the, the, the work with their own health issues or health issues of a, a parent, things that they've suffered or seen and, uh, as, as some aspect of suffering. And they begin to investigate that, and they begin to free themselves from that through the reading and writing and participation and, and they get a, a, a new exposure. They develop a lightness around these things that may have plagued them before. This is what the humanities can offer. We go right into the heart of difficult experience and the pain and struggle. Not every time, not every time, but oftentimes becomes mitigated or alleviated. That's what I love about the humanities. So many of us in the humanities suffered ourselves. Why wouldn't we? We're human beings. And we found this this wonderful whatever that is, philosophy, religious studies, sociology, psychology, poetry, that, 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 that was a discovery that in some ways we couldn't live without. Same for our healthcare students throughout the continuum. We need to help them find something that they can bring with them all along the way so they can preserve who they are while this really intricate machinery called healthcare education is working on them. And it's necessary. I'm not trying to be totally accusatory about the way healthcare education works. I've never participated myself. Who am I to say? But I've watched a fair amount. Yeah, I want them to be preserved during this, this difficult experience. Who are the type of students that would take part in this, that are taking part of this? And, and what kinds of careers are they moving on to? The bachelor's degree in a university level has never been the uh, conduit toward a career. Sometimes it is. Maybe at our business college it is. That would be the most obvious example. But it's pure preparation and foundation for whatever is next, be that graduate education or some job. So we're seeing our students evolving eventually, and we're a brand-new major, as you know, into the medical professions themselves, into social work, nonprofit leadership roles, healthcare administration. We know that they're going to get the very best liberal arts education that focuses on the universal, let's face it, we all want a longer life and a healthier life, the universal question of all of our lives. If they can think critically and do creative work around healthcare, 
They can think critically and do creative work around everything. They'll have the flexibility that employers in the 21st century are requiring of all of us. So, Beth, clearly Steve is just a street kid that's read too many books. And you're the, you're the scientific heavyweight in the room. Wow. So, tell me more about your After he role. told someone last week I was the crazy one of the pair. Which, which goes to show all the more, clearly. So uh, tell me a little bit more about um, your role, perhaps, in, in shepherding students uh, through the Ted Guzer Center and, and what they might experience in, uh, in, in that realm. So from my side of the street, I guess, so to speak, at UNMC and having us involved in the center is also partially looking at that research. What are we going to do and how are we going to report what we're doing to show that it's making a difference? So as students progress through the program at UNO, complete, come on board at UNMC for health professions uh, studies, how can we then continue to infuse the ideas behind the humanities, whether that's on the side of patient care and identifying your patients as human beings or as a, as a provider, as a developing provider, how can you continue to care for yourself keep parts of your life that bring you joy, be able to manage, reflect, and move on from difficult events, which will happen, uh, whether it's as a student in the panic-stricken mode of I have two exams next week and how am I going to learn all this and pass the next phase to move on, um, or the student who has an event happen during their program that they're in a clinical setting and a patient passes away and they've never experienced death firsthand before. Or on a personal level where a family member now becomes ill and they have to consider, do I step back from school? Do I push on? I'm, how do I manage this? Um, being able to acknowledge yourself and self-reflect and make decisions to help you move forward, I think are all things that on our side when students get to us at UNMC are important because they are managing so many things now. Students in college, whether it's undergraduate, graduate work, are in completely different places in their lives now than they used to. We have students who, it, they have to work, right? They have bills to pay. They may be out on their own. They're trying to reduce the idea of having college debt when they finish. Yet the workload and the the needs that they have in their program hasn't changed over the years. So we have to think about ways to help them manage that. What are we providing to the students to help them navigate this course of difficult study in order to be a provider and in order to stay a provider? So we'd like to look at while they're with us as students, but also how does this impact you as a provider? Is it preventing burnout? Is it helping you to manage your life in the realm of as a professional healthcare provider after school. Um, so that's where I come into how can we talk about this? How can we set up data collection? How can we set up research to follow this long trajectory that many of these students are going through? Because I, I feel that at the end of the day, we're going to be able to say from the beginning of a program at UNO through the beginning of practice after graduation from UNMC, we're setting up these students to be successful healthcare providers. 
it hangs so fine No one stop us falling Pulling faster all the time Powerless to warnings If you feel the hand of God Can you guide it, holy man? But you are only flesh and blood Waiting to for judgment Still saying Daddy, don't weep Mama, don't cry Everybody gets it seems so sensible to me this idea that we're complete people with all of the flaws and frailties and hopes and aspirations that come from that and to distill us down to a broken arm or um you you mentioned cancer and other diseases it seems so sensible and so i have to ask a question what why is this groundbreaking to what degree is it groundbreaking in in your larger field so the way I see it as groundbreaking is for us to develop the Ted Kuzer Health Humanities Center as a collaborative effort between UNO and UNMC. When I look at health humanities centers that I've seen in other places, Baylor being an example, that is really focused in the medical center side of things, I think we will be very unique in our approach to developing our center that the core of it is the idea that we're bringing together undergraduate programs, graduate programs, um, healing arts through the Nebraska medicine side of things, and the community as a whole to make this work. Our big vision for the future is that this, this center is something that will have involvement from these various entities from UNO, UNMC, Nebraska Medicine, um, other community partners in Omaha, um, the Nebraska system, if we think about UNL, UNK, I mean, I, th I think that our potential for reaching what we're doing across the state to impact every student who is pursuing healthcare education is there. And that's where I see us as unique. I add a little bit to that. The idea that intrigues me uh, is this one of functional fixedness, meaning some art form, let's say, has only one use. You make a beautiful painting, people walk by and say it's beautiful, end of story. But what's really apparent to us as we watch the Ted Kuzer Center emerge is that the humanities and arts and social sciences have a variety 
of full functions, depending on who the human beings are. Right now, with the Nebraska Medical Orchestra, which is clearly part of the Ted Kuser Center, we have a variety of musicians, many of whom are healthcare providers, some of whom are students, some of whom are UNO students, faculty members, the list goes on, who have come together to merge their talent, various skill levels, I'm sure, to make what sounds to my ear like something quite extraordinary. They're doing some data on those participants right now. They're finding out, and I just heard that this morning, that as we would expect, the participants are getting a lot of energy from this work together. Under this banner of the Kuser Center, there can be a variety of community experiences, including having our students at UNO and UNMC going more out into the community of Omaha and the state, as Beth mentioned, to really genuinely be among people whom they will start to serve in the near future in clinics where they'll be working, and in some cases leading. But part of what is less understood among our privileged students, not using that term harshly, but they often do come out of privilege, is the real detail of the people, the patients, that they're going to have under their watch. And to me, that's disconcerting. And the humanities can help bridge that gap where they're learning a lot around the people that they're serving as they're meeting the people that they'll be serving. In some ways, we've been talking a little abstractly in, in the sense that we've been talking about this thing outside of ourselves, outside of this room. And so I, I want to, perhaps hearing your passion, render this a little more personal. And so I want to invite each of you to talk about how, for you, Beth, as a medical professional, a scientist, a researcher, how perhaps the humanities have touched you personally. And it, it could be any form of the humanities at any time. And then, Steve, I guess I want to ask you, as someone who is a, a poet and a creative writer, how perhaps the scientific side of science has touched your life in some way that, that perhaps has helped each of you personally kind of bridge this, bridge this gap between the two. So throughout my practice as a nurse, I've had events that have happened that have been difficult to deal with. I think every nurse experiences that. Um, for me, while I am not really a formal writer, the idea of having a, a notebook when something just, I didn't know how to talk to someone about it. I wasn't able to deal with it. I, um, took care of a young man once who was 17, who had an event happen while I was taking care of him and subsequently died a couple of days later. Uh, it took months for me to manage this. And so just writing, um, and helping myself really come to terms with the fact that it, there wasn't anything I could have done, even though I really felt like for months that there should have been something that I could have done, um, was really helpful. I find that in art, in trying to, and maybe I get a little too detail-oriented on things sometimes, but in, in pulling out pieces and helping understand what I feel when I look at an image, and translating that into when I walk into a patient room and what are the things I need to pick out and how can I make decisions about that, that person and what they might need at that point in time. Uh, anything from as simple as I walk into a patient's room and, oh, look, there's new flowers that were delivered that day. Gosh, who are they from? And taking the time to ask that question. 
um, that if I just went in and thought, I'm taking care of this patient with this disease and I'm only looking at them, doesn't really help me to take care of them. Personal experiences as a patient on occasion with what, what do you want from someone to come in when they're talking to you about why are you here for this visit today, um, I think is beneficial as well. And helping my students understand that there's so much more to their patients than what they see in a chart or what they maybe even see when they walk in the room. I can get really geeky for just a moment. One of my favorite lines from a show I enjoy, Doctor Who. Um, in one episode, a character who wasn't actually human, but she was a human being, but had another entity into her body. Okay, sorry. Really, really out there. But anyway, her comment was, are all people like this so much bigger on the inside? I loved that statement because it's true. There's so much more to someone than what you physically see when you walk into their space. Stuart, when I was a young person and I was struggling, like a lot of us do, uh, a friend of mine was struggling. He was a radiation oncologist. Really admired him. One of the smartest people I'd ever met. But he wasn't at all interested in any kind of imaginative possibility. No spirituality, no faith. Just not interested. It was only the god of science. And I, and I watched his decline. I'll be frank. I'll spare you the grisly details. But I watched his decline. And when I started Seven Doctors Project, it was in his honor. It was in his memory. Because I figured there were a whole bunch of other ones out there like that who were just going to exist without going to that other side of the brain. And I don't think a human being can function adequately for too long. Cannot run the hound, as they say. Part of my background is in public health. And for about seven years, I led an organization called Honor Reform, Hepatitis Outbreaks National Organization for Reform. Part of my role, when there was some outbreak in a healthcare facility somewhere in the United States, I, I, I flew into town, put on a tie, raised a ruckus, wrote an op-ed, uh, got other people to make noise, and, and tried to shut places down. And I felt kind of bad about that because as I would do the chain analysis of these events with other gifted people, particularly epidemiologists, I would find uh, it was often the same thing, that some healthcare provider, some license holder in a clinic, for instance, had had some terrible event in his life, addiction, mental illness, something, something terrible, and the decline of that organization happened from the top down in many cases. I wanted to do something to make a difference, and that's an another reason I started Seven Doctors Project. But my point about the decline of those organizations, those clinics, an entire hospital could be brought down by two or three unwell people is, yeah, maybe the humanities and arts can't do it all. I get it. But it is a way, again, back to the idea, lives can be reversed. Lives can be reversed if there's some kind of new and expanded mission or vision for a human being, some opportunity, some opportunity to express themselves that they haven't had before. They don't have to keep it all inside. They may not be comfortable talking with a shrink, a priest, a colleague of any kind, but hell, they may be just fine talking with a, a group of poets and trying to write something new.
down the avenue again And we'll walk down the avenue again When the healing has begun Healing has begun When the healing has begun I'm pretty sure that on most of those Pew studies that poets are among the least trusted people. <laughs> And, of course, kicked out of the Republic, <laughs> Section 11. Yeah, we don't have a good reputation. But back to functional fixiness. This is the new poet. We're coming over to help you now, partly because we need jobs and things to do, but partly because we have a skill set that's being recognized as very important to human beings who are in some kind of pain, some kind of burnout state. What's going to revive you more than, well, conversation with people who are trying to get to the heart of the matter? can be pretty fun, too. I think we default to fun and humility in medical humanities. If I could define our concepts, it would be two things, humility and fun. I'm hoping that there's some improv comedy that's part of the curricula. <laughs> we're just talking about improv on the way down. We were. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so each of you have landed at a place that I think you are going to spring forward from. And it sounds as if there could be a generation of research before we understand the full implications of what you are part of starting here. But I want to step back a little bit just to understand how, how did you get here? I'd like to invite each of you perhaps just to share a little bit about what was your upbringing like and how did you find yourself entering the field that you entered into? So Beth, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? So I'm not the person who would say to you, I've wanted to be a nurse since I was a little girl. Never wanted to be a nurse um, <laughs> growing up. I was going to be a veterinarian, and then I was going to be a wildlife photographer. Uh, and uh, then I went to college and got a degree in um, actually environmental resources biology. I was um, certified in indoor-outdoor air quality testing for OSHA. <laughs> and decided that that was really not fun, <laughs> not something I really wanted to do. Um, and so um, bouncing around with a few different jobs for a while, I worked for a veterinarian, so I was a veterinary technician, worked in retail for a little bit, made friends with the veterinarian's wife I worked for, who was a master's prepared nurse, and talked to her about what she did. And she was an educator, and she'd done all these wonderful things in nursing and thought, I can take care of two-legged patients, take care of four-legged patients for a while. They bite a lot. They scratch you. Maybe people aren't so bad. But then I became a nurse, and I have been punched and bit and scratched and you name it. So um, went back to nursing school, worked on a um, geropsych unit for a little bit where I was punched and bit and scratched and decided during that time that I would really like the idea of being an educator and helping students 
become prepared to be nurses in a way that made them love nursing. Um, I had some experiences in nursing school with faculty who scared me about being a nurse. It was the, oh, but you, you're going to kill somebody and there's this and there's that. And, and I, I was scared as a student versus feeling like I was becoming empowered to learn and grow and really become a nurse who could make a difference. Um, so somehow I was guided down this path by some unseen force and um, it seems to be the place I was supposed to be. It feels in some ways if you're describing these milestone epiphanies, each of which was steering you towards in some way being a part of creating the ideal experience that you wish you'd enjoyed as part mm -hmm. of this journey. Yeah, I, th I think so. I think part of my student experiences as an undergraduate nursing student and in my graduate program where I knew I wanted to learn more about being an educator and had to to push and fight to get experiences to help me with that um, because it just wasn't typical um, of my fellow students who wanted to be nurse practitioners and, and really saw their view of nursing a little differently than mine. That has helped me form the idea of, I think, with the humanities approach to allowing students to enter nursing in a way that, once again, makes them love being a nurse. My mother is a retired nurse. Uh, she uh, did not have an indoor toilet in her house in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan until she was in eighth grade. She's a tough person. She's a very strong person. She uh, has read much more than I ever will. As a matter of fact, she was just showing me a few books this weekend that she's in the process of reading. She helped to take care of some of our first HIV patients in our state at Clarkson Hospital some years ago, and she did not waver from that duty. I was seeing health humanities in my house without knowing what it was since I was a child. And I was also seeing the fatigue that's part of the role. I admire a healthcare worker. I just do. They do extraordinary things. I was somebody who, as a young person, uh, neglected my health, and then in some ways uh, was in the position to reclaim it. And I think people like us are very watchful of the others. We want to naturally gravitate toward assisting. It's hard to say directly, hey, could you feel better uh, like by tomorrow? But it's easy to say, what if we get together to read this? What if we get together to have this conversation about that? And part of our process in the humanities is subtle like that. It works on us in a subtle form. So we have this interesting streamlined curriculum that take that will take our students from an introductory level into a commons course, into a capstone, into the next thing, which could be immersion in UNMC. If we sprinkle a few of these trained humanities and arts students into the next classes at UNMC, that will be of value for everyone there. They'll take this guidance with them. They'll be able to spread it around to their classmates. That's what I'm hopeful will occur.
I want to wrap maybe with, I, I don't know if you had anything that you could read or might be worth reading, even if it's um, one of your own or one of Mr. Kuzer's poems. Um, while you're thinking about that, might I ask you, uh, Beth, if this is not too personal, so I notice that you have a tattoo on, on your ankle. So I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind describing what that is and, and what it represents for you. Um, certainly. Uh, I have a tattoo on my ankle of three sea turtles. Part of it came about because one of my bucket list ideas after retirement is to move to somewhere that the sea turtles lay their eggs and become a turtle lady <laughs> because I find them fascinating. Um, I've had the opportunity to watch a hatching and, and see these babies that only about one out of every 100 makes it to adulthood, which fascinates me. That um, And so I have three of them for a couple of reasons. One is because, to me, the sea turtle represents um, wisdom, longevity, and perseverance, because those who make it live to be 100 or so years old that make it to adulthood. Um, I also have three to represent my immediate family, my husband and my two children. Thanks for sharing that. And it also makes a lot of sense, given that you've shared this history about your um, veterinary experiences. Mm -hmm. Stuart, I'd like to read uh, Ted Kuzer's poem, A Birthday Card. In her 80s now and weak and ill with emphysema, my aunt sends me a birthday card, a tossing ocean with clipper ship, and wishes me well at 44. She's included a note hard bitten in ballpoint with a pen that sometimes skips whole words but never turns back to tell me her end of the news, how the steroids have softened her spine, how every x-ray shows more shattered bone, her hasty words skip in and out, their little grooves wash clean of ink, the message rising and falling like shortwave radio, sending this hurried SOS with love. been in conversation today with Beth Colross, Assistant Professor for the College of Nursing at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, and Steve Langham, Poet and, among other roles, Director and Community Liaison of Medical Humanities at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Beth and Steve, thank you so much for sharing your humanity, your wisdom as well. Thank you. Thank you. thinking I'm going to make a statement then <laughs> that's the end of this week's show lives is an executive production of squish talks I'm your host Stuart Chittenden join me next week for more community conversation and the people that bring community to life <laughs>